gracious. Yep. How about that? With the second pick in the 2011 NFL Draft, the Denver Broncos select Von Miller, linebacker, Texas A&M. He's the greatest ever, huh? And then I just wanted when you got all the advantages. Welcome to the Aggie War Pod, a product of Dave Campbell's Republic of Football Podcast Network. I am your co-host, Mike Craven, senior writer at DCTF. The other voice you'll hear on this podcast is a barbecue-eating machine who won't shy away from a road trip or an off-key rendition of Creed. The former fighting Texas Aggie defensive lineman arrived in College Station as a three-star prospect back in 2013. He now resides in Houston, but his heart never left. Ladies, gentlemen, Reveille, I present the one, the only, Jay Arnold. Uh, and and now the doldrums of the offseason began until spring ball hits. But uh, wow, the uh, the amount of news in the world of college football as far as silly season with coaching goes, uh, I think we're going to have our hands full for a while. I am always asked every time a new person learns what I do, right? I meet one of my girlfriend's friends or family members or just whoever. I'm at the doctor's office and the nurse is like, well, what do you do? What are you going to do now? Uh, there is always something to do. College football is now a 12-month out-of-the-year calendar. It exists forever. The transfer portal has dates, but those seem to be suggestions because uh, new players jump in all the time. Kids commit, even with those spring semesters getting started and everybody's moving in. And so college football has done and followed the NFL model of if we stay in the news for 12 months, we are always relevant, and then TV stations will give us a billion dollars to air our games. And they have dominated that landscape they are the second most popular sport in the country behind pro football i showed my fiance is always making fun of me for how much football i watch even when i'm not working and i showed her a chart i saw a a chart of the top 100 u.s broadcasts like what was watched the most in the u.s 96 of them were football games college or pro one of them was a lead-in show uh to a super bowl and then the one of the other was the show that came on directly after the Super Bowl. So people just kept on their channel. like They just kept their TV on. Uh, the other one was like a presidential debate and then something else. So uh, football is king. College football is, I guess, Prince, right? Second in line uh, to the NFL there. Um, and so we will continue with our football talk, even though it is mid-January and it feels a long way uh, from, meaning, <laughs> from meaningful football. Uh, before we get going, please rate, subscribe, give us a five-star and a review, uh, share with friends, help this podcast grow. Uh, if you're looking for some apparel, uh, it's January, it's getting cold, it's been cold uh, in the state of Texas, uh, abnormally cold for the last few days. Uh, if you need a hoodie or a jacket, go to homefieldapparel.com and use promo code WHOOP, W-H-O-O-P, to get 15% off of your first order. If you'd like to become an advertiser and help this little show grow, uh, help our pocketbooks a little bit, uh, please hit one of us up on social media. On this podcast, we will talk about the resignation of athletic director Ross Bjork. Uh, more from the transfer portal, the Aggies have added two uh, really good football players, one specifically uh, since the last time we did a podcast. And then we will get into our very, very early 2024 expectations at texasfootball.com today i put out a projected two deep uh for the aggies not because i'm some oracle who knows who is going to start and who does not i i am not that guy i'm not going to pretend like i'm going to nail uh this all 22 here but i think it does on a roster turnover give you an idea of who's back who's coming kind of who the players are 
at certain positions and, and where to look for uh, with that. So please check that out if you can. All right, that's it for me. First down, athletic director Ross Bjork leaves for Ohio State. Uh, Jay, you were a college football player. What is the day-to-day role of an athlete? How much did you see your athletic athletic director? How much did you feel your athletic director uh, while you were actually playing football games? Uh, pretty much zero. Right. Yeah, that's, what, uh, that's what I thought. I was wondering what the real impact was for the athletes. Yeah, there there was like associate athletic directors that help out with like uh the educational side the the student part of the student athlete uh that that you would interact with but really for the most part you don't interact with the head ad or at least i didn't in my time uh so uh, as far as you know what the changes are they're going to be like kind of domino effects i think uh but as far as the football program i don't see it playing a huge role uh you know he got he got mike elko in and and now we kind of see where a&m goes from there i think we'll get into some stability stuff but uh yeah as far as the football program i mean the head coach generally that it feels like for these big programs the athletic director works for the head coach more than the head coach works for the athletic director in a lot of ways and there's probably a book to be written about how much Ross Bjork did or didn't have to do with the, with the coaching search and, and where he wanted to go with it and, and all the layers behind the scenes there that, that went on with the, with the Mike Elko landing. I do wonder if the powers to be wish that it happened before that coaching search or they're they're happy that they had him kind of around for that coaching search. And now now he's out of there. Uh, it feels like all the returns so far have been pretty positive on the Mike Elko side. So, you know, I, I think that ended where. Where the Aggies wanted it to, I, I think that they made a, a good hire and moving in the right direction. But you do always kind of wonder how it changes when a new guy comes in, right? Who didn't hire Mike Elko, who didn't hire the basketball coach or the track team or anybody uh, in that building, and, and what that does uh, behind the scenes. There, I wanted to touch on this. Is I, I think the alarm, like we're not going to lie to the the listeners and say we're in tune with sports administration stuff, right? Like I don't have like a list of like the five guys or women that should replace Ross Bjork and, and what should happen there. But I do know, and I also don't know the real impact of the athletic director for the fan. Like I'm not making any money off of what Texas A&M fundraises or do- doesn't fundraise. So I don't have a ton of interest in that, right? Like you care about winning football games. What goes on behind the scenes doesn't matter to most fans, but the Aggies are now looking for their fifth athletic director since 2012. Uh, General Welsh became the fourth university of president since 2020. You know, they've had three since December 1st, 2021. Uh, then Mike Elko is the third head coach Texas A&M has had since 2017. And so you, you see the fifth athletic director about to be hired on the fourth university president on the third head coach, you know, in seven seasons. Does that, illustrate why with the resources that Texas A&M has that maybe the ceiling hasn't been reached is the the lack of alignment or not even alignment but consistency and continuity behind the scenes yeah I mean we definitely talk about continuity all the time with uh you know the the football team is as opposed to like positions right like uh the more guys play together and the more that they have more time that they have in a system helps them to to get better at their job right uh you look at like what michigan has done right and a lot of those guys are kind of older guys that have been in harbaugh system for a while i feel like they've done a pretty good job of having continuity up there in ann arbor and and that's 
how they got to their success level. Uh, Alabama for years has been a bastion of continuity and, and, and what can happen when uh, you have a system in place that is highly successful and, and has uh, alignment behind it. And A&M, I don't think has had that, uh, you know, since entering the SEC, I think the last time that they had alignment was deciding to leave for the SEC. Uh, so you, you look at that and, and while I don't, think that it's necessarily the cause i think it's more symptomatic uh you can definitely tell that not having that continuity behind the scenes uh, has played a big role i always i guess as a young writer as a young observer of college football i never gave much thought to the president and the athletic director, you know, it's like, get a good football coach, get a good football player, go win football games. Who cares what's going I just didn't, I didn't give a lot to it, but the closer I've gotten to the programs, the more that I'm around the head coaches, the more you kind of see regimes start and regimes fall, you notice trends. And one of the trends is that the head coach is as successful as the alignment behind him allows him to be in a lot of cases at the football uh, level because you need the funding, you need the resources, you need the buy-in from the professors on campus and the president behind the scene. And they, like Texas State's the perfect example. Like Texas State had a had a university president who frankly did not care about football. And then they go and they hire, you know, Kelly Kelly Dampes uh, as their new university president. He makes football and athletics a top priority. They win eight games, the most that they've ever won in the FBS, and they go to a bowl game for the first time as an FBS, right? Like, that's not a coincidence. It wasn't just G.J. Kinney, right? It, it was Don Coriel. It was it was Dampus. It was it was all the stuff behind the scenes rowing in the same direction. I grew up around the Texas Longhorn program. Please forgive me, listeners out there, but I, I grew up around the Texas Longhorn program. It's not a coincidence when the Lost Dodds left, the football team got bad. The basketball team got bad. The baseball team got bad like that. That isn't just because Mac Brown left. It's not just because Augie Garrido left as they've gotten a new athletic director in there. Um, they started to turn the corner and football's gotten good again and basketball. Well, until the Chris Peard situation was getting good again and then baseball is getting good. And so it really does matter what's going on behind the scenes. Like we're again, we're not here to tell you who the five people are that at A&M needs to go land. Like we don't know all that kind of stuff. But I do think it is obvious that the more co continuity and the more, I guess, just rhythm that you have behind the scenes together, just the good vibes that you have that can really show themselves on the basketball court and on the football field, and on the baseball diamond. Yeah, and it's also like having someone in place that can keep everybody in line. That's you know, true, you, too. You have this kind of like, uh, you have new faces and turnover. It's it's a power vacuum every time you have to hire somebody new and you have people reaching to try to get more influence, right? That's always going to be, it's it's human nature to, and we don't have to get all the way into this, but uh, it, it's, you have a lot of egos in place and to really get the egos to work together, to row, like you said, for like a, uh, how, how Texas state has this year, uh, you have to have somebody that can speak and relate to all of those egos. And, and it's a mixture of placating and also just getting them in line. Uh, so it's, it's definitely not an enviable position, right. To, to be an athletic director at one of these mega programs where millions and millions of dollars are coming in and, and people have opinions on how things should be run, uh, whether they have an idea of, of what it's like to be inside of an athletic program or not. Uh, but, I mean, 
you have to have some kind of continuity behind the scenes. Uh, one, to attract the right people, right? Because if there's no stability up top, how are you going to have stability within the program? Uh, and that makes it hard to hold on to assistants and, and coaches in other sports. Uh, but then also just to like get your pro like winning organizations have a process and to have a process, you have to have time to develop it. A&M really hasn't had that time with, with one face in charge uh, in, in quite some time. It'll be interesting to see if they go outside the box. It, it feels like some athletic directors and even like uh, conference commissioners like, like Brett Yormark have been from the outside that they haven't just been like, Hey, we're going to go get the athletic director at Ole Miss. Like they did uh, with Bjork. Maybe they go get somebody from TV or entertainment or something, you know, a, a, as football and athletics change. Uh, if they want to stay in the state, the, the names that pop off in my head are, are Jeremiah Donati uh, from TCU. Uh, he was kind of the understudy of Chris Del Conte when Del Conte was at TCU. And now he's the athletic director. TCU went to a national championship game uh, last year. A really smart guy. He's a former agent. Uh, so kind of understands the business side uh, of that thing and has a lot of connections there. And then Chris Pesman is the athletic director at Houston and, and has led uh, the Cougars into to the Big 12 and a big jump there. Uh, he played at Houston, though, so not sure kind of what the thought process is behind the scenes there. But uh, those are two names in the state uh, that I, I would think of. But again, I don't. I can't tell you who the athletic director is. Again, at, you know, I'd, I'd love to throw my name out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jay Arnold available uh, as well. Just the vibes director, you know, yeah. like if the athletic director needs the a vibes director. Uh, I, I would love to be the A&M version of Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, that's right. That's so right. In reality, that's probably Robert Earl Keen. Yeah, I was going to ask. That was going to be my follow-up. Who Who is the Aggie version of Matthew <laughs> McConaughey? Who is the guy who takes up all of the limelight and wants all the attention but actually only goes to games where national television cameras are there and doesn't give a shit about the rest of the athletics programs? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I have Matthew I have Matthew McConaughey hate deep in my heart, and it just, it just came out there. But who hey. is the Aggie version of Matthew McConaughey? Sometimes you just got to let that go. Uh, he's, he's such I, a, I, I mean, Robert O'Keefe honestly shows up for everything and it is, he's not really a big spotlight guy. Yeah. He doesn't jump in front of the can like McConaughey. If game day's there, McConaughey is going to be there. If it's like yeah. a big night, Monday basketball game, like McConaughey is going to be there. He's not going to women athletics. He's not going to Texas versus Iowa state. He's not, you know what I mean? Like he, uh, you know, I covered Austin FC when it was created. He came uh, to the first game and did a bunch of interviews before leading into that first game. Didn't see him the rest of the complete season, right? Like he's just yeah. that. Uh, oh, he did come to the game that Will Ferrell came to because again, you know, cameras. Uh, but other than right. that, uh, nowhere to be found. I do enjoy the just enjoying your athletics and not needing everybody in the world to know it. Like he's a mascot, really. And I, I respect Robert O'Keefe just enjoying ath Aggie athletics without needing uh, to be on Twitter every single time he does it. Um, we got distracted there. Let's move on a second down. Let's move to the, <laughs> to the <laughs> let's move to the transfer portal. Uh, the Aggies have added two players. Since our last podcast last week, Des Ricks, uh, five-star, former five-star cornerback from IMG Academy who played uh, last year at Alabama sparingly as, as kind of a reserve and on special teams. And then Trey Watson, tight end from Washington. Uh, you know, not not a star player, but a, but a good player, good recruit, somebody who's going to come in and, and add some depth there. I think Ricks come in and start. Uh, he may be one of the guys that comes, up, comes in and, and plays right away. Transfer portal, like I said, up to number two up to 23 
the portal class is ranked first in the country, according to 24-7 Sports. The Aggies also added 14 players in the early signing period, so that means 37 new faces right now headed to College uh, Station for 2024, which makes sense because I think the bowl number was around 50. You know, so mm-hmm. they were going to need you know 35 new faces. Some players are going to leave. I'd imagine after the spring semester, there's kind of a, some more movement out and movement in as people start to get a feel of, of where they really stand on the on the depth chart here and, and other other places. So just kind of your overall thoughts, like first on Des Ricks, uh, just adding that kind of upside, adding that kind of talent, and then just also overall on, on kind of the portal efforts of Mike Elko and staff. Yeah, I mean, I think we kind of did a deep dive on the portal last week, but, uh, you know, we talked about Mike Elko kind of having a plan of, of what positions he wanted to address going into the portal, uh, and corner was a big position that the Aggies needed to address, and going out and getting a, a Des Ricks from Alabama, who was a highly coveted prospect at a high school, uh, is a big win, and, I mean, he was somebody that a lot of programs wanted. Uh, so I think he'll come in and like you said, I think he has the potential to be a starter right away. And obviously for, for years, Alabama has, uh, produced incredible defensive backs. Uh, so you know that like, if a, if a guy like Nick Saban is, is high on an athlete and, and recruits him to play defensive back in his system, uh, you feel pretty good about that analysis there. And, and for A&M to, to grab, uh, Desrix, it, it's, I think it's a big, uh, win, uh, and again, you mentioned it, right? Like it's it's hard to really rate uh, the portal uh, as far as what's the best class. And you know, kudos to twenty four seven sports for trying. Uh, and like you said, A and M with the number one class, it, it looks good on paper at least. Uh, but it, it is interesting to uh, see that it, it feels like not only is A and M getting a lot of talent, they're getting talent that they need. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the the biggest thing here is like they're they're addressing what needed to be addressed and, and the concerns that we had after this season. So uh, I, I think I just have to say that I'm, you know, we'll wait and see what happens in the actual games. But for now, uh, I'm excited about what Mike Elko has done in the transfer portal. I guess first I would say like consider a guy like Ricks to be more of a recruit commit than a portal commit, right? I mean, he's just one year removed from high school. You're betting on the upside. This isn't the same as going getting a Nick Scorton at, at edge who you can plug and play who has real production. And so uh, I think I think Elko and the staff has done a good job of combining kind of that young high upside talent uh, with guys who have real deal live production in college football games. Um, and so that, that's the smart way to do it. I also, I tend to be hesitant about transfers from Alabama and Georgia and Ohio state. Like if you're leaving those places, something's probably wrong with you more so than, than something's wrong with the program. But this case feels different because Nick Saban left and now all bets are off on that Alabama roster. And so it does, I think if we really went and dove into the numbers, I haven't done this, so I could be wrong, but I rarely am. If we went and dug into the numbers, transfers from Alabama, Georgia, they they don't do as well as transfers going up that maybe overproduced at Iowa State or or Texas Tech or something like that. But with with the Saban leaving, I think that takes that alarm bell off a guy like Ricks. You bring him in there, and he's only going to add talent to the position. I went through – and I looked at where all these portal guys, because you see the number 23 and it gets a little overwhelming. You kind of lose track. Like you can't wrap your head around that. So I wanted to see where those players are, like who, what positions are being uh, brought in through the transfer portal. 
quarterback zero, running back one. Every single other position group on the offense or defense has at least two players, right? So they're just bringing in new players at every single position, five at cornerback, <laughs> five transfer players uh, through the corner position. That's Ricks, uh, Will Lee, who I think, I think, I think my early pick for starting cornerbacks for Texas A&M, by the way, is Ricks on one side, Will Lee on the other. Uh, they also brought in B.J. Mays, Jaden Hill, and Donovan Saunders, who, who's going to be a real good player. But five cornerbacks, three safeties, right? So a third of the A&M transfer portal additions so far have been secondary guys. They got two edge players, a defensive tackle, two linebackers, three offensive linemen, two tight ends, and three wide receivers. And so it has been a almost complete overhaul of the roster positions. That's why I put out that too deep today, just to give everybody an, a chance to wrap their head around what the roster kind of looks like, even if we don't know exactly how these guys are going to, is Shamar Stewart going to move into defensive tackle, right? Is Chase Besantis going to play guard? Like we don't know any of that stuff yet, but we can get an idea of like, here's the 10 best offensive linemen. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> It's going to just get more difficult and more difficult with Transfer Portal to keep track of rosters and, and who's where and, and where guys have come from. Uh, but like you said, it, it is good to see like a mix of the you know guys with the upside and then also proven uh, guys with, with proven results and proven statistics uh, like a Nick Scorton, who has obviously uh, been productive where uh, he's been before. Uh, you know, you mentioned Will Lee and, and – and Rex is two starters going in. I, and you mentioned Donovan Sanders too. I think he may end up being uh, a starter and surprising a lot of folks mm -hmm. just cause uh, you know, I, I, I know people don't watch FCS as much as I do. I, I, I understand that uh, I'm kind of an oddball there, uh, but folks, trust me, y'all need to watch some FCS ball. It, it's, it's a lot of fun. Speaking Corey uh, Hogue's language right now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's good. And, and like for people that complain about there's too much money, uh and fbs now well then you have fcs and, and d2 and d3 right there if you if the money really bothers you that much yeah. and frankly just go to g5 like if y'all knew how much utsa actually spent in nil you you would like be shocked how little it is right and like utsa is good and has some, a some decent, of the, some has of the a decent nil goals. structure but like there's just no i mean it's it's like less than like what the quarterback at a&m probably gets right yeah, like combined like, like some of the max schools have lesser budgets than a lot of these FCS programs. Oh yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's crazy. Uh, there's so some again. good old amateurism left out there for you. If you need it. <laughs> <laughs> right. There's plenty of guys playing football for the scholarship money. If you need it out there, you just may not be able to root for your favorite football team. Hell just go to Huntsville right down the road and watch Sam Houston play. If you, if you want to watch some of that old timey kind of college football uh, for the love of the game, uh, type, type of stuff. Uh, before we move on to third down and kind of talk about some expectations, I wanted to run through my starters on this line just to give an idea of kind of like what, what it looks like a little bit right now. And you can kind of, I mean, again, uh, Connor Wegman at quarterback. I think we all, we all kind of agree there that that's going to be good. Like running back, I have Ruben Owens, but if Amari Daniels trots out there for the first snap, you know, or Le'Veon, you know, like Moss, like, I don't know who's going to be the starter at running back, but uh, Jade Walker, Moose Muhammad, Noah Thomas, you know, that feels like a solid, you know, starting three guests there. Uh, wide receiver Donovan Green uh, back at tight end, you know, maybe a Garrett Miller starts instead of him. 
Uh, offensive lines where it gets weird, right? Like Trey Zun's back, uh, Bryce Foster, Cam, du Cam Dewberry, Chase Besantis back. Uh, but does Besantis move in to guard and then Ruben Fathery is back healthy at tackle and that's kind of your five? Does one of the transfers like uh, Amarj uh, Reed Adams become a starting guard? Uh, Mark Nabu, like where, where does it land there at offensive line? Uh, and then on defense, I think Nick Scorton's a starter. Uh, DJ Hicks, Shamar Stewart. I think Shamar Turner uh, maybe can can move inside and play a little bit of three technique uh, on the defense if they want to get those four guys on the field at the same time. Uh, Torian York, obviously, at linebacker. My my guess next to him would be Scooby Williams. The Florida transfer is kind of my, my leader of the pack there. Uh, I saw Bryce Anderson at nickel. Uh, Jacoby Matthews at, at one of the safety spots. And then Will Lee, Des Ricks at corner, as we talked earlier. And then the other safety spot could get weird. I mean, I think a, a, a DeRicky Wright, probably maybe the leader in the clubhouse there. So those are those are kind of like my first guesses uh, for the starting starting 22. A mix of new faces, but still a lot of uh, players that are going to be inherited and hopefully developed a little bit more by the staff. Yeah, and then a guy like uh, a Marcus Ratcliffe out of out of San Diego State could be in the mix there at safety as well. I'm with you though. I think offensive line is where it gets most interesting, just to kind of see how that shakes out. Uh, you know, if Ruben Fathery can get healthy, uh, and then live up to the potential we saw from his freshman year, uh, you know, it, it, there's so many like there's so much talent. It still feels like at the offensive line position. Uh, the, the, you have to wonder if getting a new face in there in that room, coaching those guys up, may make a difference. And and we see some of those guys improve uh, and and show more of the potential that we saw early in their careers. Uh, but man, it is it is wild to just see the amount of turnover, right? Like losing losing thirty plus guys in a season, like it's unfathomable for me to think of. Like going back to my playing days, right? Like I can't imagine just thirty guys gone. And, and like you had transfers and, and, you know, guys going to the pros and, and a lot of times there's be some, some roster turnover, but man, that is a, that is a high number and, and a lot that's coming from, uh, other, uh, NCAA, uh, schools, as opposed to coming out of the high school ranks. Even the most hardcore of fans across the country are going to need to, uh, invest in that first, uh, program the first week program just to kind of have it <laughs> have it in the stands be able to reference like who's number six again like what is is that you know you'll start thinking it's the old player and, and it's a, a new guy from florida or something like that and so um yeah it's gonna you know and i i wanted to do this you know this is gonna sound crazy but i'm already i already start thinking about the magazine right we do the magazine in april and may i kind of start I, i've learned a few lessons from being in charge of the college side for a couple of years you know i used to just help out and write a section or two but as somebody who now undertakes kind of the whole college section there one of the things that i always struggle with is the f and two deeps right because you just yeah. you start to forget who's on campus who's been added who who's left and so for me this is like reference material uh for later on it's like i've already done some groundwork on, on kind of what the two deep looks like and it gives me a visual of who's on campus, who's on the roster, what spots they may slide into. Uh, so hopefully it, it serves that purpose for others too, because it's impossible to keep up with. Like, unless you put it down on paper, it's impossible. And it's like coaching changes and scheme changes too. So like maybe we're running with three defensive linemen, maybe yeah. we're running with four. Uh, like, I mean, 
Wes McGriff, right? Like he was signed and then all of a sudden he's back at Auburn. So it's, it's a lot to keep up with between coaching changes, uh, the portal and incoming high school recruits. Hey, Michigan's roster may be next, right? If like Harbaugh yeah. takes an NFL job and they don't, they don't go in house with more, you know, like, you know, Brian Kelly goes and ends up being the Michigan coach or something like that. Then LSU opens up like the chain reaction stuff. It may just never stop. Like it may, there just may be like coaching changes in May. Like who, who freaking knows where we're headed in this sport? Like it's, it's wild. Like it's good for me, right? I enjoy it. Like a lot of college football writers do that thing where they like complain about how busy it is. Uh, that's good for us, right? It's why I don't have to yeah. go cover like college basketball or anything. Uh, but it is hard. It is hard to keep it straight. It is hard in your head to be like, oh yeah, that's right. So-and-so is here now or so-and-so's there now. In a way you could, in- we're going to move into third down now. Uh, into 2024 expectations you used to be able to almost instantly do that right again i grew up around the texas football program where they were winning 9 10 11 games every year but not all of them and i always you know like around october after they had like messed up the red river game or or lost a non-conference to like north carolina state or something like that you started to like project well next year though with sims back and this and that you know you could start really doing that in the stands you can't anymore like you can't even start to look ahead and really have hope as a fan because who the hell knows what the roster is going to look like uh, otherwise and so i wanted to kind of like lay down a marker again this is going to change probably every single time we do this podcast from here on out but what is your kind of early thought process on what your expectations are for 2024 I, I look at the schedule for AM and it really just feels like a very manageable schedule as far as SEC games. Uh, Notre Dame is going to be a tough game, but you get them at home. Missouri is probably going to be good again, uh, but you get them at home. LSU, you get at home. Uh, Texas, obviously very tough to close out the season. That's a playoff team, and they lose some stuff, but they're reloading just as well in the portal, in my opinion, as, as A&M is uh, with some of the weapons that they pulled out of there, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, but you look at the road games, like at Florida, Florida feels like a program in just complete disarray right now. Shambles. Uh, Arkansas, you know, like with with Pittman there, it just kind of feels like he's kind of on borrowed time. Uh, and KJ Jefferson has, has transferred out to UCF. Uh, Mississippi State is another new coach. Uh, Lubby's going to do some interesting stuff there, but uh, I, I think it's going to take some time to get adjusted. South Carolina, it, it feels like that's another program that's kind of, you know, taking a little bit of a downward turn, kind of like Arkansas, where it looked like they were turning the right direction, and now it just kind of feels like that momentum's falling away. And then Auburn with Hugh Freeze, uh, they fired their offensive coordinator, and, I mean, they closed out the season terribly. They had that close game against... Uh, against uh alabama which they always play them tough uh but then you look at like what they did against new mexico state obviously who by the way is on AM's schedule uh, <laughs> but but jerry kill leaving has, yeah. has kind of hurt that program a lot uh and and the two schools that new mexico state counts as their biggest rivals i feel like have both made really good coaching hires this offseason uh but auburn uh, i i just don't like where Auburn is as a program either. Yeah. Uh, so I look at it and I'm thinking, you know, four between four and two losses is, is what I look at. So I look at it like an eight to nine win season. Uh, I'll, I'll set the over under at eight. Man, if they hit the over at eight, that's, 
that's it. Uh, that's an A plus season, right? Because like to me, that means that you're eight and three going into that final game of the regular season against Texas. And if you beat Texas and go nine and three, you're all of a sudden in a freaking college football playoff discussion, right? Like so, yeah. if they're able to to pull that off, uh, kudos to Mike Elko. That would be a tremendous season. You're right, though. It's hard to talk yourself out of like an eight win kind of floor for the Aggies because they're four road games. They're four real road games. Um, Cause they're, they're at home. I think what, eight, eight times or seven, yeah. I guess seven times plus Arlington. Notre Dame, McNeese, uh, Bowling Green, Missouri, LSU, New Mexico state and Texas at home. Uh, and yeah. then you have Jerry world. So the last seven, time. By the so way. Se- yeah, seven, seven true home games, the Arkansas game neutral, uh, and then four four road games. I think your four road games in the SEC, you're favored in. You're favored against Florida. You're favored against Mississippi State. You're favored against South Carolina. You're favored against Auburn. Your three biggest tests, your four biggest tests are at home, uh, Texas, LSU, Notre Dame, Missouri. Um, even if you, know, you go two and two in those games, right? I mean, you are flirting. Uh, with an eight, nine, you know, uh, win season. And I think to me, if he goes eight and four B plus, right. Anything above that. I mean, you, you've smashed it out of the ballpark is the record, how you define success failure in year one, or is it more like, you know, it's like how they say with like porn, right. You like see it, you know it when you see it, (laughs) like you can tell if a program is swimming in the right direction or not just by how they play. Like not eight, not every eight and four is created the same, right? Just like not yeah. like you can go seven and five, but like be really promising with it. Or you can go 75 and feel like, holy crap, we made a, the wrong hire. Uh, what are some of those things you look for early on in a tenure to, to kind of know or to feel like, you know, like, hey, I think this thing's going right. Or maybe, hey, this thing is going wrong. Yeah, the vibes, right? Yeah. <laughs> we got to find out what the vibes are. No, but I mean, I, I don't want to read too much into the record in year one. Uh, I, I kind of want to see how everything gels, right? Like there are signs of dysfunction, penalties, uh, broken plays, uh, struggles with tackling. Like these are things that I look at and they say, well, we're eight and four, but so many of the little things are wrong. Yeah. Uh, but if they're out there and they're executing game plans and just getting out talented, I feel like you can fix that, right? Yeah, you're like just losing some close games or something like that. Yeah, and it, it's and again, like this is a manageable schedule. Uh, so win the games that you're supposed to win, and, and play close in the games that you're, you know, maybe not favored in. Which, to be fair, I feel like AM did for the most part in in 2023 under Jimbo. It's just there were certain signs, right? Like a lot, it, like it didn't feel like there was enough improvement. Uh, and, and obviously like you're going to have a lot of roster turnover, uh, but you want to see improvement at the, the key spots, right? Like see the corner back position, improve, see the offensive line protect better. Uh, if you can make it through the season without getting your starting quarterback hurt, that will do wonders for the collective Aggie psyche. I mean, that's something that I think will make people more excited than winning eight games, right? Like if Connor Wagman can stay healthy. For, for the entirety of the season, people will lose their minds over that. Uh, so there are definitely some things outside of the record that I'm going to be watching for in 2024 to determine the success or lack thereof of the Mike Helco hire. Yeah, win seven or eight games. Like you said, do the small stuff well. See some progressions at, at those key spots. And then the the vibe thing, it's easy to downplay that, but we'll know. 
right? Text ads exist. Like we'll know, like it'll, it'll be out there if things aren't going great behind the scenes, right? It'll be out there if things are going great in, you know, behind the scenes. So uh, we'll, we'll know if the players are bought in, we'll see it in the recruiting, right? Like it, you know, he'll have a whole year of, of recruiting. If this jump, if they're back to signing the seventh best class in the nation, Hey, things are pointing on the way up. Um, if it's 13th or 14th, Hey, Maybe players aren't as bought in at the high school level as as they want them to. If the transfer numbers are back up again after next year, all, all of that kind of stuff uh, tends to to tell me a lot about about the program. But I'm I'm with you. It's about watching the games on Saturday and going, hey, that's a football team that I'm like proud to root for, right? Like if I'm an Aggie fan, it's like, man, that was fun. Like we lost by six to a good, you know, Notre Dame team or a good, you know, LSU team or something like that. Uh, but they were in it and they played hard and they didn't shoot themselves in the foot. I think that's that's just what you want, right? You want it to start looking like an I like for them to have an identity. Like what is Texas AM football? If at this time next year we're still asking that question, like what is Texas AM football? Then it was a failure no matter what the record is. If we can go like AM's this and AM's that, and they're building towards the then that that is where you want to be, I think, after year one. To your point, like what is Auburn? Like what is what is the identity of Auburn football right now? You have no idea. South Carolina, yeah. Arkansas. You have no idea. You want to be a program that's got a little bit of an identity. It felt like Jimbo didn't have that other than like talent acquisition. Like they were just a talented football team. Beyond that, no clue what was going no. on. Uh hopefully after year one with Elko, I imagine it's the blue collar, strong defense, running the football, beating people up in the trenches. Like that's what I imagine that identity is going to be, but we'll know come November or December if that was the case or not. Yeah. And it may take some time to build that up, but like if we see some signs of it actually progressing towards that, uh, but like you said, like you don't want to be a football team without an identity, right? Like it felt like Mississippi state was caught in between uh, two regimes, Uh, you know, Auburn, you think a few freezes, a brilliant offensive guy and the offense was terrible. This year, uh, defense won a lot more games for him. Uh, you look at LSU, and you know, historically, that's been more of a defensive minded identity there. Uh, but Brian Kelly at least has a clear offensive identity at LSU so far. Uh, obviously, we'll see, you know, you lose your Heisman winner, that's going to be a little bit of a step in a different direction. Uh, but the best teams have identities. And they execute based off of 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 what they have, uh, and and that's not to say that identities can't change. Obviously, what Alabama won their national championships with varied wildly under Nick Saban, depending on what kind of style of football, what kind of team he had. Uh, but but you want to have like a clear, defined vision of what your team wants to be. And and it, again, this goes back to what we talked about with the portal. It feels like Mike Elko has a plan on what that vision is. Yep. Uh, agree completely. So, you know, I think, uh, yeah, I think eight and four feels like a good early kind of like marker uh, for the Aggie program. And we can kind of build. Well, and what I like doing, the, the reason I like this exercise isn't to get married into eight and four as like my uh, prediction for Texas A&M is to measure it against what I feel like in April. And what I feel like in July and what I, you know, like, does it change? Does it go up? Does it go down? Uh, that That's why I enjoy kind of doing the verbal exercise of, of figuring out where I'm at in January and seeing if the, and I do it for every single program across the state. Um, and and tra- oh, before we move on, did you see that uh, 
Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin kind of spoiled Auburn's offensive coordinator announcement. Their wide receiver coach at Ole Miss is getting hired to be the Auburn OC. And instead of waiting for Auburn to announce it officially, Ole Miss tweeted out like a statement with the dudes like, hey, he's going to be a first year play caller and stuff. You know, like he like they like put out what his role and assignment is going to be at like Auburn and, and didn't let Auburn do it. And like, while not the biggest thing in the world, I just love it so much. I Dude, just Lane Kiffin's bit is something uh-huh. that like, I know people feel strongly one way or the other. Yeah. Uh, but I just feel like it's something that makes college football a little more fun. during yeah. the Oh no, no doubt. He's, he, he's a good wrestling heel, right? Oh, yeah. Like he, he would be a great manager of like, you know, of the bad like guys. Bobby Heenan. Right. Exactly. <laughs> He'd be a good Paul Heyman. He would just be a good, he, he would be great in that, in that role. However, I do think it's the reason that he's not the Alabama head coach. 100%. You know, like he just they don't want the stick. Right, you just can't you can't give that car to that driver, right? Yeah. <laughs> like you just you can't do it. You can give them some other keys, but you can't give them keys to that one because they're just not they are not there for for that stick as you as you put it and uh so I while I love it, I I I do recognize why that's why most coaches don't lean in to their real personality. And they become robots that never give us anything interesting or fun. It's because it costs them jobs with the button up <laughs> losers at places like Alabama. Well, I feel like uh, another in the SEC and, and, and Drinkwitz has kind of toned it down a little bit, but he, he knows. still leaks out at some point. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. He like, he looked around and went like, Oh shit, I could be the next head coach at LSU. when when Brian Kelly like bolts back to the Midwest, so he doesn't have to use that stupid accent. I got to calm down a little bit. <laughs> um, and you know what? I think not to get too far off the rails here, but we talked about LSU not having much of an identity in their defense, you know, being poor this year, but then Brian Kelly goes and hires like the best defensive staff money can buy in the off season because like he knows what the identity is supposed to be. And they like got away from it and didn't have yeah. success. And, you know, Bo Davis may kill a guy, right? If they tackle like they did last year, if they play as poor as they did defensively last year, like Bo Davis is going to put somebody on a missing poster. And that is how you get that identity back is like by bringing in people that not only care, like they, like he cares about that program. Um, and so that'll be, that'll be something to watch. There. I think yeah, I was secondary as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, so that's going to be a big bounce back defensively, but they did lose uh, the Heisman trophy quarterback who shouldn't have won the Heisman trophy. Um, and so that will be, that will be a setback. Uh, oh, I'm going to die on that Hill. Uh, <laughs> that's are for nerds. Uh, okay. We can move down to fourth down uh, to the ask J segment of the show. Uh, some would argue that the whole show is an Ask Jay segment, uh, but you know that's what having a podcast is. Uh, at Rob underscore Troy asks, what do the Steelers need to do to win one freaking playoff game? Uh, before you go, I, I would imagine most of our listeners are Cowboys fans. And the idea of the Steelers and their fan base complaining about not winning playoff games, I... It's gonna it's gonna bug some people. That's all I'm gonna say to Rob Troy. That's all. That's just what I'm saying. <laughs> so here here's the thing. You look at uh, the Steelers and the Cowboys to just draw a parallel here. Feel like two very different problems. The Steelers feel like they're overachieving relative to their talent, and that's why they haven't dropped in the draft order, like to a spot where they can really take uh, some difference makers. Uh, some some like huge game-changing quarterbacks, things like that. Because Mike Tomlin is such a good coach, they just keep winning. Yeah, right? they're never going to be really bad. And, I mean, that's part of the culture there. 
this goes back to the stability thing too, right? How many coaches have the Steelers had in their hit? Like it's in my lifetime. Know, I think it's only three, three, right? I'm 38 years old. Yeah. And it, it, so it's, it's something where it's kind of an organizational process. It's op- obviously lent itself to success. Uh, good luck convincing Mike Tomlin that he needs to tank, right? Like that's not going to happen. He wants to win games. And uh, he's a guy that I think, again, is, is coaching above the talent level. Uh, I think Dallas has the opposite uh, problem where they have cultural issues that are impacting that organization uh, to the point where the talent is there, but they're just not achieving. Uh, I think they're good enough to win games, uh, certainly to win more playoff games. Uh, but when I look at the Steelers, as far as what they need to do to, to win a playoff game, I'd say take a deep breath and realize that you have it better than a lot of NFL teams. Cause as a fan of the bears and the chargers, let me tell you, uh, NFL football is not fun for me to watch. <laughs> uh, I mean, really it's, if you get like another generational quarterback in there and, and you can plug him in that team is a factor immediately. And let's not discount how good that division is either. Right. You have Lamar Jackson with the Ravens, Joe Burrow with the Bengals, uh, the Browns defensively were incredible this year with uh, obviously one of my former teammates, Miles Garrett, and, and and what they did, and then Joe Flacco coming in. But uh, I, I really think it's just a quarterback position, and and part of the problem is that your team is too good, right? Like your your coach is too good, and you're not in a position to draft that future star quarterback. Yeah, go get a quarterback or tank, right? Or I guess maybe you need a tank to go get a quarterback. But they feel like that NBA team that's never going to be in the top five of the lottery, but also like doesn't get past the first round of the playoffs, and they're just in that purgatory spot of you just can't get much better. You know, the Rockets were there for a long time, where you're just always the six or seven seed. You're going to get beat in the first round, but you're not going to be in a spot to go draft somebody that can get you to the third round. Uh, the Steelers feel like a, a team that's there. Right. That's like the ninth or 10th best team in the NFL, which is probably the worst spot to be as a fan. Right. Like you're around nine and seven or not, I guess, nine and eight now because they had to ruin the the schedule and make the math all hard for us. Uh, But you're just like you you're not fun to watch because you're a 500 football team and that that kind of stinks. But like you're in the playoff picture, so you can't get rid of a lot of people because you why you're not going to just completely reset but they do need a quarterback. I'll tell you this, if they would like to tank and Mike Tomlin would like to leave, there's a owner in Dallas who would like to call him. Uh, yeah. Because like, like, and yeah, let's move. The second question kind of touches on this. More surprising, the Dallas Cowboys collapse or Houston winning in a landslide? Uh, and then maybe we can just use this as a jumping point to, to talk about the Cowboys. Yeah, I, I don't find the Cowboys losing in the playoffs all that surprising because there were signs of it all year. And then how the they East lost is just though. not good. How they lost had to be surprising though. Like I, if they had lost twenty-seven to twenty-four, I'm I'm a hundred percent with you. They got their ass kicked. Like, and that defense got its ass kicked, and that's what surprised me. But but I feel like that's kind of been the issue for because like they got their ass kicked by Buffalo, and it's a similar deal where if a team can jump out ahead and then establish the run. The Cowboys aren't geared to play against that style of play. And I'm not a huge NFL guy either, but like I saw so many similarities between uh, the Packers Cowboys game and the pack, uh, the Cowboys Buffalo game earlier in the year where Buffalo gets an early lead and then they just rely on their backfield to just kind of pound away. And 
the Cowboys want to jump out ahead and play complimentary football and, and defend against the pass. And there was just none of that complimentary football uh, for Dallas. Uh, again, this as a Bears fan hurts me to say, but like you talk about another organization that clearly has a process that works. Jordan Love coming in at quarterback and then all of a sudden, like they haven't, I mean, take all the off-field stuff away, but like the quarterback situation in Green Bay has been uh, similar to the Steelers head coaching situation where, right, like there's there's been three quarterbacks in Green Bay. Mm-hmm. It's been Brett Favre into Aaron Rodgers and to Jordan Love now, and it feels like Jordan Love's going to be great too. Uh so it, it really didn't feel that surprising to me that the Cowboys lost and got blown out because it, it feels like that's the way the Cowboys lose games is that they win the close ones, but when they get behind, they just cannot keep up uh, for whatever reason. And, you know, Green Bay pulled away and made it look easy. The Texans doing what they did to the number one defense in football uh, felt more surprising to me. Uh, it did feel like the Joe Flacco story was going to kind of hit a hit a tough point at some spot. Uh, I just I didn't expect the Texans to run away with it like they did against such a good defense. C.J. Stroud is potentially a top five quarterback in the NFL for the next twelve to fifteen years. Like I I didn't have too much of an opinion on Ryan Day other than. Man, that Ohio State job doesn't seem like fun, right? You go in 11 and 1 every single year and people want you fired. Like, that's insane. They were a field goal miss away from beating Georgia and probably winning a national championship last year. But then you watch CJ Stroud and you go, holy crap, how did Ryan Day not win two out of the last three national championships with that guy? Like, yeah. holy crap, he is good. Like, he, he makes some throws that are like, you're, it's, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, like he just does stuff where you're like, that's that's the stratosphere he is heading towards. Yeah. Yeah, it, it feels like he's gonna be just a future all pro guy for the for the foreseeable future. Uh I mean, Texas fans have to be pumped. And especially I, like with so, the receivers that they have around him too. Cause like Nico Collins looks really good. Yeah. And then Tank Dell when he's healthy. I mean, I think we've watched enough college football with him at Houston to know what Tank Dell's capable of. And, and he's a perfect fit uh with him and Nico Collins together. I do hope his size doesn't mean that he's always injured, you know, because he's not a big dude. You stand next to Tank Dell and he's I mean, it's 160 pounds. You know, he is yeah. not not a big guy at all. Um uh, I have been an NFL nomad since the Oilers left. I don't play fantasy football either, so my NFL fandom exists in the playoffs. And when I bet on random games because I randomly have a Sunday that I'm at home and I'm watching football or something like that. I, the CJ Stroud and D'Amico Ryan, who feels like just an incredibly likable guy and I'm happy. That job, you can tell he was given that job as kind of like a, a lame duck situation type deal. And then he's like, just, just killed it, you know, with, with Stroud. I have, I am, I am thinking about dipping my toe back into NFL fandom and jumping on the Houston Texans. It's been long enough, right? I've been, I've been without a team long enough. I am somebody who needs a team, needs a rooting interest to like really get into a thing. Uh, like I'm really into English premier league soccer, but it's because Liverpool is very important to me, right? Like I need a thing to attach myself to. I'm thinking about getting back into my Houston, Houston NFL love and getting on the Texans train. Cause I, I think it's going to be a fun one for the next decade or so. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of talent in place there. You have, uh, 
Another name AM fans are probably familiar with in the SEC, Laramie Tunsil, obviously from Ole Miss. Uh, Will Anderson, rushing mm-hmm. the passer. Uh, Christian yeah. Harris at backer. He's another Bama pro- uh, product. Uh, so it, it's there is talent all over this Texans, and it, it feels like a team that's going to be good going forward because so much of it is young. There's a few more pieces maybe on the offensive line. You protect Shroud a little bit better. Uh, and then defensively, uh, well, dude, Stingley. Uh, yeah, has played out of his mind recently. Yeah. Jalen Petrie from from yeah. Baylor. Uh, so there's uh, there's no shortage of talent. It'll just uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, kind of how this team continues to gel together. That's the other thing too. It feels like the Texans have just gotten better and better as the season's gone on. Is it time to cut bait on Dak Prescott? <laughs> this is a tough one for me because I played against him and I I kind of liked playing against him at Mississippi State. I thought he was. Uh, a really good athlete, but you know, his style of plays changed quite a bit, right? He was more of a power runner when he was in college. Uh, some of that's going to be injuries and just kind of the, the style of play in the NFL. I, I am biased. I have my glasses on my sec, former player glasses on here, but I still think that like Dak is a pretty serviceable quarterback. If you get some, some more pieces around him, uh, but at the same time, like I, I see what like uh, Jake Ferguson has done at tight end and CeeDee Lamb, who are both two great weapons. Uh, I think Gallup's a pretty solid wide receiver as well. Uh, so it might be time. It might be time to move on. Uh, I do think like whoever the new coach is for the Cowboys, uh, it's going to be a uh, interesting process. But they're in a they're in an impossible thing too situation. Is, yeah, it's it's like it's like that that situation where he, it's good but not great, and you worry about what may happen to your team if you take that step, right? Like, if I'm the Steelers, I'm terrified of what life looks like without Mike Tomlin. Uh, Penn State with James Franklin, right? Like, you're winning 10, 11 games uh, every year. You know, you may have like a nine or eight, but what happens if you get some guy in there? And you move on, and it's just not good at all. Well, luckily for James Franklin, the NCAA made being average acceptable, and now he'll be a college football playoff coach every single year, and those guys won't be on the hot seat as much anymore, right? <laughs> like, all of a sudden, underachieving James Franklin goes to college football playoff coach James Franklin uh, just because the rules change. So I am interested to know in college football – how we start thinking of those nine and three, 10 and two coaches, because at a place like Penn state or even like a lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, you're the clock's ticking. Are you going to catch Georgia? Are you going to catch Alabama? Are you going to catch LSU for, for Penn state? Obviously it's Michigan, Ohio state. Now you don't have to, now you just, you can lose to both of those teams, go 10 and two, get in the playoff. And if you get hot at the right time or other people fall off because of attrition, you win a playoff game. All of a sudden you're getting extensions. Like instead of being on the hot seat, you're going to get extensions. And so, uh, being a college football coach at a program like that has never been better, I think. I think that's the perfect job now. Um, speaking of, what are your thoughts on uh, Kellen DeBoer uh, being hired at Alabama to replace uh, the great Nick Saban? <laughs> the, talk about an unenviable position, right? Like uh, It's going to be a short leash, and you're going to have a lot of people who ha- think that they want to have input on, on how you should do things in the wake of a legend like Nick Saban leaving. Uh, with that being said, DeBoer's a winner everywhere he's been. He's won at the NAI level. He's won at Fresno State. He's won at Washington. Obviously, it's a little bit different beast down in the SEC. Uh, but 
like let's not pretend that Washington isn't a power five program uh, in, in the Pac-12. And obviously boosters at Washington, boosters at Alabama, probably a little bit different, probably a little bit different. You're going to have to approach them a different way. Uh, but I just think that, you know, as far as hires go, this was a good did good decision by uh, Alabama to go out and get uh, DeBoer from from Washington, a proven winner at every level of football that he's coached at. Yeah, just get a guy who always wins, and then they keep winning. You know, like I, I don't think it's all that big of rocket science. And everybody's freaking out over the recruiting. And if he can recruit, it's Alabama. You're going to be if you win, you're going to recruit easily to Alabama. I think that they're going to have to step up on NIL, right? Like Nick Saban was their NIL. Getting to the NFL was their NIL, and they could be like, hey. You may not make as much on the front end as you will at some of these other places, but in three years, you're going to be a top 30 draft pick and you're going to be a multi multi-millionaire and you're going to win a national championship along the way. Uh, come to Alabama. That's not going to work as easily anymore. So they're going to have to catch up uh, with some of the programs in the NIL and kind of do it on the front end that way. Uh, like everybody else does. Uh, but you hire a guy who wins. All, I, I think the same thing for Houston hiring Willie Fritz, right? Like you just, you hire guys, uh, that win football games and know how to be head coaches and know how to lead programs. Um, Nick Saban's going to stick around. I think he's going to end up being like the consigliere of Alabama football, right? Where he's just kind of running it behind the scenes, uh, be kind of the figurehead and probably help with some of that recruiting and the NIL structure before he really rides off into the sunset. So to me, it feels like a, a bang out of the ballpark hire. I think it was smart not to go Saban tree. Uh, yeah. Maybe that wasn't by choice. Maybe that's just because Dan Lanning has too good of a job to leave. Steve, Steve Sarkeesian has too good of a job to leave. Kirby Smart has too good of a job to leave. But I, I think it was intentionally or unintentionally, I think it was smart to go outside of that tree because the pressure is going to be high enough. You don't need somebody who also is beholden to Nick Saban, get somebody from outside that can come in and do their own thing and, and take the program wherever it is that they want to take it. I do think it's more likely in four years that they're hiring a new coach than that they're winning a national championship. But I think that has to do with the expectations and just what it is to follow a legend more so than it is my feelings about Kalen DeBoer. Yeah. And and one thing I think we forget about Kalen DeBoer too, is uh, how quick the turnaround was at Washington, right? Like uh, Jimmy Lake left that program in shambles. Uh, they were in a very, very bad situation. Uh, and DeBoer came in one right away. Uh, and I think in that, in this era of the transfer portal, that's something that has to be on your mind as, as a program is, is guys that can rebuild programs in a hurry. Uh, like this was a, Washington was a team that lost to, to Montana, uh, in, in 2021, right? Like they lost to an FCS program. They finished the season four and eight. Uh, and then all of a sudden Kevin DeBoer comes in in 2022 and no, Washington's a two loss team. And then 2023, they make the playoff and are in the national championship game. Uh, so that's a, a pretty quick turnaround. And I think that, you know, in this age of the transfer portal, fans are a little bit less patient. They want that instant turnaround. And 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 they've seen what you can do with guys just getting key pieces here or there. Uh, and so I think you're going to kind of see that uh, that both speeds up like what his expectations are at Alabama, uh, but it also gives him more opportunities to to go in and get players and, and change things in a quick manner too. Ryan Grubb, offensive coordinator, uh, Kane Womack, defensive coordinator. He was the head coach of South Alabama. That's a dude. That dude, yeah. that dude can coach some freaking defense, yeah. right? So they're, they're going to play some defense. They're going to be okay. 
but you're not going to lose Nick Saban and the talent they're losing from that roster and not take a little bit of a dip in a, in a conference that's really, really good. Uh, but that dip may just be 10 and two and the nine seed in the college football playoff, right? Like it may not be that huge of a dip. And with the playoff expanding, like I was saying with Penn state, your, your baseline becomes different. You no longer are seventh and you stink. You're seventh and you had a home playoff game that made the university a bunch of money. You were on, you know, like the perception of your job changes, right? Like if Nick Saban started going nine and three, 10 and two and finishing 10th in the country every year, we'd look at it and go, what the hell is wrong with that? But if, if DeBoer comes in there and goes 10 and two every year and finishes ninth or 10th in, in the, in the nation and gets in the playoff, that's an acceptable job. If he wins a playoff game or two within, within that period. So uh, I did, that'll be, that's fascinating to me is like how we grade these coaches differently moving forward and how much the playoff kind of changes what we think of not Georgia and Ohio state, but like that next group, like how, yeah. you know, that, that second group, of teams and what it what it does for your potential um lastly before we get out of here it's kind of on this same wavelength but with nick saban gone it feels like kirby smart is now the clear number one top coach in the sec i'm curious who you think is number two and there's there's a few different ways you go with this uh i think it's hard not to go to bore number two uh, if you're wow. going off of resume and what they've done, uh, who else has gone to the national championship game, right? Brian Kelly. I think you could, uh, make the argument that he's a possibility for number two. Uh, but other than that, I mean, I think those are the, the two in my mind that are competing for the top two or for the, the second spot behind Kirby smart. Uh, and I think I just favor DeBoer over what have you done for me lately? Uh, and then obviously kind of gave it away, but Kelly's probably my number three. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I think I'm going Brian Kelly. Um, you know, I think this last year, you know, recency bias, obviously DeBoer did a, did a better coaching job. The LSU defense was pretty unrecognizable. Like I'm still not quite sure how you can have that type of talent and be so bad defensively that LSU was, but uh, Brian Kelly is one of the only coaches with over, I think, 250 college football wins. Like it's like him, Mac Brown. Uh, now that Nick Saban's gone, I think it's just him, Mac Brown, and Casey Keeler at Sam Houston. I think are like the the three winningest active head coaches. Um, so to me, like that kind of track record uh, still means a lot. But I, I do think DeBoer, Sarkeesian, they're they're kind of right right next in that order. Maybe Elaine Kiffin as well, depending on kind of how you see him or view him. Um, as a head coach. So it does kind of shake it up. Like it doesn't feel yeah. just like Kirby smart, Nick Saban at the top. And then everybody else, uh, there, there will be a real kind of horse race here on, on the coach. It doesn't yeah, like the King is gone. Right. And like now, now it's like a reshuffling of the deck. So it's going to be interesting to see, not just with the sec, but just college football and lar- at large, uh, how big this gets. And like we talked about, it's already affected Washington. You know, Michigan may be next in terms of, of big fish that is that's changed. I'd imagine they go in house uh, with their offensive coordinator, Coach Moore, that that led them. That has as many top ten wins as James Franklin. By the way, uh, he has as many top ten wins as a head coach as James Franklin. He's already beaten Ohio State more than James Franklin has. Um, so, so uh, Michigan would have the second most decorated coach in the Big Ten. I guess Lincoln Riley. I forget that everything is changing and that the Big Ten is no longer in the Midwest. But of the traditional Big Ten schools, <laughs> Michigan would 
elevate their offensive coordinator and still have the second most decorated uh, coach because James Franklin is that just just that yeah. I almost said a bad thing. I but. mean, I mean, Chip Kelly was in a natty at one point, right? Yeah, that's probably true. That's probably true. <laughs> I just like to make fun of James Franklin. That's really that's, fair. that's really my only my only goal here. All right, Jay, uh, we are becoming masters at worrying about how we're going to get 30 to 45 minutes of a podcast and then going exactly an hour or so. We are we are uh, in in midseason form. If you don't take an off season, then you just stay in shape and you just stay in season form. That's where we're at. It's uh, it's the rock, right? Like Dwayne Johnson, uh, no days off team, bring it or whatever. We're Mm -hmm. doing that with the podcast game. Yeah. In this in this world, this is just my opinion. In this world, you're producing content, or you're just in the way. That's uh, that's just all. That's all it's about, right? It's and some people are over. in the way producing content. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> uh, you said it. I didn't say it. You said it. Uh, that is uh, our January seventh. We're, we're doing this on January seventeenth. Um, second podcast of twenty twenty four. Moving on towards uh spring football which will be here before you know it uh national signing day kind of the next big kind of thing not as huge as it used to be i was going through the numbers 99 of the top 100 players in the state of texas are already signed like that's just fascinating to me how much the early signing period has just become signing period but terry bussey and a few other uh storylines are, are still out there for the aggies so we'll monitor that uh we'll keep monitoring the transfer portal obviously uh, anything else happening with AM? We may even get into some basketball here as as March s- trickles forward if AM is playing. They beat Kentucky the other day. Uh, so definitely could be a tournament team uh, that we're paying attention to. Um, and yeah, keep sending in those questions. Holler at us if you'd like to advertise. Give us a five star rating and all the other stuff that you do for podcasts. Nothing to add for me. I mean, okay. you pretty Sorry. much said it all. <laughs> I thought you were, I thought you were about to add add something there at the end there. So yeah, I mean, wrap- we got baseball season and, and everything else. So uh, I'm so and, we'll, and we'll, we'll keep an eye on the uh, we'll keep an eye on the AD hire as well. Just yeah. to keep y'all posted on that uh, and see what A and M goes in for that direction as well. All right, sir. Uh, Appreciate it. As always, had a good time. And for the Aggie War Pod and for Dave Campbell's Texas Football and the Republic of Football Podcast Network, we will talk to you next week.